0: That is good. Well, again, this is that time where our ushers don't get up and don't come forward and don't receive an offering. But you can still do that online. So that's where you, I guess, electronically you text your... uh, bank account to us, and we only take out what's needed. And that's all. No more, okay? Just, just what's needed there. If you have a Bible handy, and I pray that you do, if you'd open it with me to uh, the book of Proverbs, we're going to be in, eventually, chapter 11. We're going to be a lot of places before we get there, but you might as well get your finger there, and I promise you, um, we're going to walk through a whole bunch of Proverbs today, um, We're in a a study here in the series titled uh, Wisdom for Living. It's about living practically because remember, you know, there's there's nothing in the book of Proverbs that talks about heaven. It's about how to live life successfully, how to walk in wisdom in the here and now. And uh, I titled this morning's message, uh, Living Selfless in a Selfie-Centered World. And if you have social media, you totally understand exactly what I'm saying. If not just humor me and follow along as we dive into this but uh, let's pray really quick father we thank you for your word and uh, lord your word is life and life-giving and may it give life to each and every one of us today for some may it uh, usher them into the very kingdom of heaven today when we recognize lord your kindness and your generosity towards us and uh, lord may it stir our hearts to be more like you may you make us generous people and kind people lord And uh, Lord, we can't do it without you. And so thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here with us and open our eyes to, to see truth and give us the faith to believe and to receive all that you have for us today as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. You know, the Bible teaches us obviously a lot, you know, about true wisdom. Now, have you ever thought about that there's something that's not true wisdom? There's wisdom, but it's not true wisdom. Uh, The book of James, we won't read this, but write this down if you're a note-taker. James chapter 3, I'm just going to read in verse 17 to kind of demonstrate the point here. It says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure Then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. It says now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay. And yet it says that... uh, There's a different kind of wisdom, and you can read that in the previous verses there, in verse 15, though, and I'll just read this to you. It says, this wisdom, this earthly wisdom, which isn't true wisdom, it says, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, and it's sensual, and it's actually demonic. And so there is an earthly wisdom that is in direct opposition to the wisdom of God and the world is full of that kind of wisdom. And yet God wants us to have a wisdom that begins with, as Proverbs uh, teaches us, a healthy fear of the Lord. And so Solomon, you know, throughout this book, he's teaching his son about wisdom. And, and he does this by using these powerful statements that are designed to help, him, to help him remember them. That's one of the reasons why so many people enjoy The book of proverbs because again as we by definition have given to the book of proverbs it's a a pithy statement that what packs a powerful punch or in solomon's case as being the wisest man on the earth it's a short sentence based on long experience and again it's one of the things my dad always used to tell me michael you can learn from me you don't have to make every mistake yourself because i already made them. You can learn from my experience. You ever have that by show of hands? A parent, you shared that with your kids? Learn from my mistakes. That's one of the ways that our mistakes get redeemed, that you go, thank God it didn't just end in vain that I was actually able to use that to be beneficial to someone else. If you haven't been with us and you're trying to figure out how to, what's the best way to study the book of Proverbs, I would just encourage you to come on Wednesday night when uh, John gets to the book of Proverbs uh, on Wednesday nights. He's in the book of Psalms right now. It'll be... Uh, see, 90, what, five? It's, I don't know how many weeks, but uh, it, it's going to be good. I can just tell you that. And the best way really to study it is just taking it in chapter one and plowing all the way through. And we do that on Wednesday night. We're dealing with more of the topics, kind of the hot topics, you might say, of the book of Proverbs on Sunday mornings, to wet your whistle, to get you to want to read uh, this book and to make it part of your life. Like I said, most people that really do Dive into the Word of God and make the Book of Proverbs just part of their everyday reading you could, again there 's thirty one chapters there 's almost thirty one days in a month is just read one chapter a day and just hide your His word. the Bible says in our hearts that we might not sin against Him, because again, this is about the book of Proverbs learning to live. Practically in this life, so if you think about the book of Proverbs, you know chapters one through nine um, deals with foolishness and wisdom. He, he and Solomon uses uh, it, it's in the in the feminine uh, language that he uses uh, a woman to uh, depict wisdom and folly. He's talking to his son, obviously here, but it could apply uh, to women just as well. Um, any person that reads it, but uh, again, it's personified. Uh, this wisdom and, and folly or foolishness uh, as a person. So he's telling them, you, follow wisdom, son, and your life's going to end up good. It's like, you know, one of the things that we always tell, you know, men here at Calvary Chapel, if you come in for premarital counseling, one of the first things we do is in our examination of you is make sure that men are marrying up, right? Because if men aren't marrying up, there's a good chance your marriage isn't going to make it, okay? So we always say, hey, if, you're, if you marry up, it's a good thing. And any you know, man that recognizes that is smart because the Bible says that a man who finds a wife, a good wife, finds, you know, a, a wife, obtains favor from the Lord. And it says that a good wife is like what? A crown upon her husband's head. So the key here is to marry up. And that's really what Solomon, in the sense, is teaching his son. He's going to follow her wisdom. But there's another woman. She's folly. She's foolishness. And man, she gratifies But she doesn't satisfy. It's going to be temporal at best, but it will lead to death. There is a way that seems right unto a man, right? But its end brings forth death. That's why, you know, in arranged marriages... I mean, a dad could go, you know what? Hey, honey, I know what you need when you're 20, but I also know what you need when you're 62, okay? So let me help you understand, you know, the type of woman that you should pick in your life and who you should pursue. And so in chapters one through nine, he deals with this in in two women that that he paints this picture for his son. And you might be thinking, why does Solomon do this? You go, well, because the guy had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I think he thought about women a lot. I mean, to be honest with you, probably everything he did kind of, when, and, and by his own life, he knew that, he, uh, again, his wives did what? And, and again, it's why God is a monogamous God. He's into one, not into polygamy, not into the multiple wives. And you go, why? And it says because his wives turned his heart away from God. You know, you want to marry a woman who's wise, who does what? Turns your heart to God, you know. And again, such a, a wonderful thing. That's what we see in chapters 1 through 9. In chapters 10 through 15, and we've been we've been going through this, and we'll do it again today. It's contrasting couplets, right? He contrasts two different thoughts, you know, what wisdom is and what folly is, and he does it in a way that his son can remember, and we'll walk through some of those uh, today. And then in chapters 16 through 31, it finishes up with just covering just a, a whole variety of just different topics. It's just boom, boom, one right after another, that unless you read it over and over again, you won't remember them, because the thought You know they're very they're they're, they don't follow a specific order they they kind of run you know uh, just all all over the place it's just like whatever the thought comes up that's the direction that he goes but they're done in short pithy statements and like I said they all pack a very very powerful punch and one of the things you know that you know we understand here uh, of all the things in in especially getting into like chapters eleven. Uh, on is one of the things that, as I was looking at this this week, thinking about as a father to a son, you know like what are the what 's the first thing that you would want to teach your son, and obviously he 's teaching him to fear the Lord right to walk in in the fear of god that 's the beginning of wisdom, but the second thing, and if you 're a note taker you 'll understand this you know but especially. Uh, parents of young children. But one of the very first things that we want to try to teach our children when they're young is how to be kind, right? Or how to be generous. Because again, we'll see that within their hearts that, you know, rebellion or sinfulness is pent up in the heart of a child. The Bible says that they were, as the Psalmist declared, they were conceived in sin. They're not innocent, right? Right? All you have to do is just watch them. You know, I mean, there's no baby born into the world that says, hey, mom, I know you're tired. So, you know, I'm just gonna sleep, you know, and, and when you get ready to get up, wake me up and then change my diaper and feed me. And, you know, it's like when they want something, they want something, right? And they don't care if you're tired. They don't care if you're sick. They don't care what day of the week is. You know, there's no Saturday morning, you know, for you if you're, you're a parent with a, with, a, with a small child here. And so, you know, it's been well said. We're never more like God than when we give. I want you to think about that. We're never more like God than when we give. And that's why I titled the message today, Living Selfless in a Selfie-Centered World. Have you ever noticed that when you put two two two-year-olds together and you put one toy with them, they don't automatically go, okay, here's what we're going to do. Five minutes, five minutes. You get to play with it for five minutes. Then when you're done, hand it back to me. I'll play with it for five minutes. And then when the hourglass, because they don't know how to tell time at that point, when they go, when, they, when the sand runs out, I'll give it back to you. No, what do they do? See, women get this wrong all the time. My wife has with our, our children, even our grandchildren. They, they're in our home and they, what are they? Mm, and Lee will be there in front of our kids, mom, mom, mom. And, and, and the first words out of every child's mouth is mine, mine. And she, Lee's going, oh, look, she said mom. See, he said, Mom. He goes, no, no, honey, <laughs> listen closely. <laughs> and they said, mine. There's a difference. You know, it wasn't mine, mother. It was mine, mine, selfishness. I mean, it's just, like I said, it's, it's so easy to recognize in their lives. And again, like I said, as a parent, one of the very first things that we need to, and maybe you aren't, but, uh, and again, it, and you know this, if you have selfish children, you can look back over the course of their life. And if you never train them to be generous, you will end up with a very selfish person because it doesn't, we don't have to take a class on how to be selfish. It's just our nature. It's human nature to think of myself before I think of you. That's why Jesus said to love your neighbor as what? Yourself. I mean, I know today we talk about, I need to go talk to someone how to love myself. The Bible says that's a lie. We all know how to love ourselves. The problem that we have, even with with what psychologists would deem self-hate, is because we love ourselves so much and people aren't treating us the way that we expect or want to be treated. And so it gets reversed. It's kind of like famous and infamous, right? It's like if you're Kids can't get your attention doing right. They're going to get your attention by doing what? They're going to get your attention either way, right? That's the ultimate, you know, goal in this. And so teaching our children at the youngest age generosity and kindness. Because actually they're synonymous in Scripture. See, we think of kindness as being the emotion. Oh, they're kind. But think about it: when someone has has given you a gift, or someone has blessed you with, with something, it, one of the first natural responses that we make, right, is you say to them, "Oh, that was so what? Kind of you." You don't say, "Oh, that was so generous." You're so you might say that, but you're, but most often the word that gets used is what that was very what thoughtful, or that was very kind of you. It's from the Hebrew word he said, he said. And, and it, it's a, it demonstrates the consistency, the compassion. There's so many things that come with that in the word of God. But again, we have to know and understand, you know, kindness matters. Because when you think about it, when we walk in the ways of God, we're walking in the will of God. People are going, how do I, how do I walk in the, the will of God? Walk in the ways of God. Do the things that God calls us to. Walk in obedience to his word. Live with that healthy fear of who God is and honor him. Because kindness, kindness in the true sense, it, it honors God. And that's what Solomon's doing. He's instructing his son how to walk in wisdom, how to make God and put God first in his, in his son's life. And again, when we do that, and, and Solomon came to that place in the book of Ecclesiastes, at the end of his life, he realized that was the chief end of men was what? To, to love God, to fear God, and to please God. And then basically, you know, it's been well said, love God with all of your heart and then do what you please. Because everything that you'll do after that is going to be to please God. It all stems from a love relationship with the Lord. You know, and so living, you know, selfless in a, in a selfie-centered world, it begins with kindness and generosity. Like I said, we're, we're never more like God than when we give. And you think about this, a, a verse that just jumps off the page to us is John 3:16, right? For God, what? So loved the world that he did what? He gave. It's not that, oh, he had happy thoughts about us. No, he gave. He gave his what? One and only son, his only begotten son. He gave him for us. And we know that how he gave him was for his life to be a ransom on Calvary's cross. You think about giving and generosity, you know, Proverbs chapter three, again, right out of the gate, when Solomon is teaching his son about wisdom, he says this in Proverbs three, nine and 10, he says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. It, it, it echoes the same thing that Jesus said, in Matthew 6, 33, on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. See, most of us are familiar with the tithe, right? We think about the tithe as one-tenth, you know, uh, of a percent there. One-tenth, you know, we think about it, of all of our possessions. We're to, to give to the Lord. And again, it, it's not just about being generous. That's not why the Lord, he doesn't need a tenth of, of you know, your goods. It's It's something deeper than that. What it's demonstrating to us and what it's it's revealing to us is the generosity of God. It's getting us to think about, you know, God first and foremost and honoring him in our lives. See, being kind, it isn't thinking less of yourself in that respect. It's thinking less about yourself. That's really the key. It's not like you put yourself down or, you know, uh, you become, you know, not concerned about your life at all. No, it's just that you you just don't think about yourself as much as maybe you're accustomed to. Yeah, it's interesting in Exodus, if you're a note taker, you might write this down and go study this for yourself because it really brings us back to what Solomon is wanting to teach his son is what Jesus is teaching us. If you go all the way back in Exodus chapter 13 the Lord was instructing Moses here in verse one. He says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, he says, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. Okay. And he's, he's teaching the nation how to become generous. And then down in, in verse 11, he says, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, he tells them to do something. He says that, It's the Lord who opens the womb and every firstborn that comes from an animal, it says, what you have, the male shall be the Lord's, that the firstborn belongs to the Lord. What is he doing? He's teaching them about a type and a shadow of of what's to come in their life. When Jesus Christ, the firstborn, the the only begotten son of God and and his redeeming, his redemption of of our life. and, And again, as you read through this, you begin to understand it. He says in verse 13, he says, but every firstborn of a donkey, he says, you shall redeem with a lamb. You think about this, you go, okay, that's right, God's going, there's certain animals that were clean, that were deemed clean, and there were certain animals that were deemed unclean, And, and, and a donkey was an unclean animal, but it could be redeemed so you could keep it, you didn't have to kill it, if you sacrificed what? A lamb in its place, then you could keep the donkey, but if you didn't sacrifice a lamb, it says you were to break the donkey's neck, you were to kill it, you were to sacrifice it. And so, again, you go, what what was God doing through all that? Well, he was demonstrating his generosity towards the children of Israel. He was preparing them that one day their Messiah would come into the world to do what? To redeem mankind. You might say to redeem the unclean, as it were. They were being taught about God's compassion, his kindness, his generosity. So that when Jesus, when John, you know, announced, remember what was how John announced Jesus coming on the scene? He didn't say, hey! Hey! Here's God. He said, behold what? The Lamb of God, you donkeys. He didn't say it, but that's what he meant. You know, he goes, you unclean. He's come to do what? To offer his, his life, his perfect sinless life. He's clean. There's no sin in him. For who? For you, for me, for the unclean. He's preparing them to teach them about what? Again, generosity, kindness, the compassion, you know, of God. And so, as you you study through this, uh, again, God's call was to give. And when it wasn't to give on the back end, right? You know, it's funny how people give, you know, financially. They go through all their bills. They'll pay all their bills, and they go, "Mm, you know, got some left over. We're going to give this to God, you go, know, it's the very opposite of what God does. It's the very opposite of what God teaches us to do. God calls us to give not out of, in the sense of our, our poverty, out of what's left over, but to give out of our abundance. That's what takes faith, right? You go, but if I did that, you go, I'd be given on the front end. What about me? See, that's the whole point of generosity about kindness is to do what? It it, it puts to death my flesh. It it puts me second. It puts God first. That's why the Lord told us. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he said, what? All the other things will be added unto you. But it takes faith. Isn't it interesting with regard to the tithe in the book of Malachi? It's the only time in scripture where God says, test me. Test me in this. Test me in this area of your life. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Be generous. Be compassionate. Be kind. Bring the full, because then what? You're going to become like me in that respect. And he goes, and test me in this. He says, why not open up a window of heaven and pour out upon your life a blessing in, in abundance that you, you can't even contain it. And people who are generous by nature, who are giving by nature, experience that. Because they're not covetous. They're not hoarders. They're not holding on to their conduit of the flow of God in their life. Whether it be a lot or whether it be a little it's, they hold it loosely in this life. And that's what Solomon is teaching his son here. It's a great, great lesson for not just parents to teach their children, but for all of us to be reminded because we live in a selfie-centered world. And if you get on social media today, you'll find that everything we put on there, if I go on you know, social media, I post things that what? That you like or that I like? That I like. I, I, my wife, you know, uh, likes Pinterest. Uh, our son-in-law works for Pinterest. And you go, and what do you do? You pin things, right? You like, 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 like. You are being conditioned to do what? To think about yourself. that That's what taking a selfie. Who would have thought, you know, 10 years ago, selfies, a selfie stick. You know, I mean, we, you have all these things. It's all about self. It's all about us. And, and again, the opposite of the very thing that God has called us to to be and do in this life, and so we don't think about the addicted proponents to it. You don't think about, you know, um, all the chemical reactions that happen, you know, in our body. You know that um, what is it, dopamine? That you know, when someone touches you or someone mentions your name, you know, it's like you know, our eyes dilate. There's a chemical reaction. It's it's a godly natural high. Uh, that we can have without, you know, having to use drugs uh, of any outside source, that our body produces something of itself. Well, again, psychologists know that, and people that, you know, take advantage of whether it's marketing, advertisement, it's something that stimulates that chemical reaction in your body, does what? It draws you back to it. That's one of the draws of, of social media, to bring us back to that place where we're doing because we then feel so good about ourselves. Because we're, you know, being talked about. Someone, like, you sit around and you go, oh, they liked my picture. They liked what I wrote. They liked, like, 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 like. So everything, you know, becomes about me, 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 me. It's just the culture that we live in. It's not that somebody, you know, is not innocent in the sense that's using it, but it wasn't an innocence that it was created. It's to be addictive. It is to pull you in and to hold on to you and make you, you know, long for it. And again, uh, unfortunately, uh, it is impacted uh, the church community in such a, a negative way. And you think of all the hours and hours and hours that we can spend selfie centered, you know, you might say. And, and I love, you know, my granddaughter uh, Reese, uh, she, uh, she was probably about three years old, I think, would you say, Lee, when she tried to teach us, you know, something that uh, her parents were teaching her. She'd come over and if and if they were playing with other kids and stuff and she had this little saying, she'd say, sharing is caring. And and or caring is sharing. I don't remember exactly which way she said it. Or maybe she said it both ways. But but she was starting to understand or being taught you know, this principle that to, to share with other people is to care about them. And, and I thought it was, it's such a wonderful thing because that's exactly what what the book of Proverbs is teaching us. You, you think about you know, Proverbs eleven seventeen. it says this, it says, a kind man benefits himself, but a cruel person brings ruin on himself. And like I said, th- this is the Hebrew word hesed here, and it means steadfast love. It means it's reliable. It means that it's constant, just like God's love. And, and that's what he wants our kindness to be. He wants our generosity to be. Sometimes, you know, it's kind of like the IRS. It was the guy who, who uh, sent in uh, an anonymous, you know, uh, envelope, no return address, sent $100, but with a letter. And he told the IRS, he said, You know, I, I haven't been paying my taxes for the last number of years. And he says, I feel real guilty. He said, I'm, I'm sending this $100 to you in hopes that it eases my conscience. If it doesn't, I'll send more. You know, and you, and you think about that. You know, it's kind of how we approach things. We give because what? You know, we don't want to feel guilty. You know, we don't, we don't want to feel like I'm being selfish. And so it's not that we're consistent or we're said that we're reliable in it. But we go, eh, you know, eh, I've been kind of being kind of selfish. So I think I'm going to throw 100 into the, well, you can't because you have to do it electronically. You go, man, some people go, I haven't given in so long. I, I run into this guy all the time. And uh, yeah, it's so fun because he's like, he, he feels guilty and I just like the guy. But he'll go, hey, you know, Pastor Mike, I'm so sorry, man. I got to get to the church. And uh, I'm like, why? And he goes, uh, I, I haven't given in a long time. I got to get there and give. And, you know, I could say things like, well, hey, I could take it for you, you know, and stuff. But uh, it's not about his money. It's about him. And so I go, hey, you know, I well, just, you know, the, as the Lord leads you, just, you know, we're there. We're there Wednesday night. We're there Sunday. And I said, you can, you can give a lot of ways, but, you know, we'd just love to see you. And, but it's that thing of people, you, again, it's like, ah, you know, I, I know God's calling me, you know, calling me to give. And I, and I love this in Proverbs eleven seventeen there, where he says, but a cruel person brings ruin on himself. You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter seven, he says, judge not that you be judged, not judged. He says, for what judgment you judge will be judged. You will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you you know, Joe had asked me, you know, if I wanted Galatians 6, I said, no, I don't need Galatians 6, but if you're a note-taker, you could write that down and study it for yourself. I just put my notes there. What goes around comes around, because that's the message, isn't it? That's the, the proverb of Galatians 6. You know, whatever man sows, that too he shall reap. What goes around comes around. You sow sparingly, guess what? You what? You reap sparingly, as well. Proverbs 11:24 24 says, in 25, it says, one person gives freely yet gains more. Another withholds what is right only to become poor. It reminds me of that statement that Jim Elliott made. He said, he's no fool who gives away that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose, right? Somebody gives freely and they get more. You ever notice that people that just give, they're always giving more because, uh, again, they're they're a conduit. They're they're not you know they're not hoarding unto themselves, and uh, you know I, I love the you know the I shared with you at Christmas time the Mary miracle that was a book that was written by Pastor Jack Hayford, and and I loved it because it was so simple to remember. Remember the promise of Mary he said the promise is to you, and it's the same for me and you. The promise of God is to you that it might be birthed in you. That ultimately what it might pass. Through your life to do what? To change the world around you. So my dad was an English teacher, so that was a preposition. You know, in you, you know, to you, through you, you know, around you. Those are just things to be reminded of, of everything that God does in our life. There's a purpose to it. Look at verse 25 there of Proverbs 11. It says, a generous person will be enriched and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. You know, why is the Dead Sea called the Dead Sea? If you've ever been to Israel, or or even if you haven't, if you've studied, the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea for a reason. You know why? It has what? An inlet, but it has what? No outlet. Well, it does now. They've actually, you know, they're they're actually taking water out of it, you know, again. And they're trying to dilute the salt content of it. Because I think it's like six times more saltier than the ocean. So it has really, except for beauty supplies, that's a whole other sermon in and of itself. But uh, again, it has, an, it has an inlet, but no outlet. You don't want to be a dead sea. Somebody, somebody you know, that's a, that's a slam. They go, man, you're like a dead sea. You know, and they go, what does that mean? You, know, you go, well, this yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Living water always in scripture is what? It's moving, flowing water. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he says, it's to be like torrents of what? Of living water. God wants to flow not just in you and not just to you, but he wants to flow through us. That's what the kindness of God, the generosity of God. Again, Proverbs 12, and I'm just going to walk you through all these passages uh, here this morning in the book of Proverbs that deal with kindness and generosity. And like I said, it sees them together. And we need to see that. When you're being kind, you're being generous. And when you're being generous, you're being Kind Proverbs twelve ten says the righteous cares about an, his animals' health, but even the merciful acts of the wicked are cruel. You know, my my father-in-law was telling me about a, finding a dog on the side of the road that had been hit by a vehicle, and the and the and the people just left, and he stopped and and you know picked up the dog and took it home and ultimately took it to the vet and it was going to be, I mean, over a thousand dollars and, you know, to have this animal cared for. And at first, you know, he's like, eh, you know, it's not my dog. And, you know, I, as much as I want, you know, that's, and then later on, you know, said, Hey, I'll, I'll take care of it. Unfortunately, the dog, uh, you know, didn't survive, but there's something about, you know, being generous. And, and I have, you know, my mother and my father-in-law, my my family—they're just very generous people, willing. My whole life, you know, when I married into this family, so willing to help and to serve, and and not ask for anything in return. And you go, why? And you go, it's it's part of of being kind. It's part of being having a heart of generosity here, and it's not just towards people. It is towards animals. And again, it's not you know being callous, you know, and this is really what it's about. It says the righteous cares about his animal's health. It says, but even the merciful acts of the wicked are cruel. And what that's saying is that even cruel people will do acts of kindness to do what? Because of how they benefit from it. It's like, you know, taking care of your animal because your animal serves you, right? It serves your purpose. It's not that you're doing it to care for the animal. Jesus said, you know, that even sinners give to sinners for what they get back in return from them, So there are people that, again, they go, well, how do you say that they're cruel? They gave to them. And they go, they gave to them because they wanted something from them. And you know this because we've all gone to birthday parties when we were growing up or we bought somebody a present that we really didn't want to get them, but we were going to invite them to our birthday and we wanted them to get us a good gift. So we got them a good gift. You can't relate to that, but you have friends that can. So, you know, you understand it. Proverbs 14, 21 says, the one who despises his neighbor sins, but whoever shows kindness to the poor will be happy. You know, what that's telling us is to despise is to hate and to hate is to sin. God is merciful and kind to even sinners like me, like you. Romans 2, 4, one of my favorite passages when I think about this. Paul writes, he says, or do you not despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness, some of our Bible says kindness, where it says goodness here, or even love. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. Isn't that how you came to Jesus? Is that you realize how much he loved you? You realize what he did for you, and that broke your heart. And that's what should happen. Proverbs fourteen thirty one. it says, The one who oppresses the poor insults his maker, but the one who is kind to the needy honors him. So we were all created in the image of God. That's what Solomon is saying here. To oppress the poor is to insult God. To show kindness to the needy is to recognize what? I'm needy. <laughs> You're needy. And God has been very good to me. Say this with me. God has been very, very, very good to me. Yeah. You know, yeah. Has he, he? Yeah, he's been very, very good. You know, so when people start to kind of go off the rails there, just look at me, go, hey, look at me, focus, here, look. God has been what? Very, very, very good to me. You go, and then you tell them, you go, say that, say that with me, because it's true. He has been so, so very good. Proverbs 19, 17 says, Kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord, and he will give a reward to the lender. So what is Scripture telling us here? Solomon's saying kindness is revealed in our giving, giving to the poor, expressing love and pity towards them. You know, or, again, have you ever had somebody go, that was a waste of money? Isn't that what, what you know, Judas was saying? Oh, you helping the poor, really? You you're just wasting money. Yeah, people like they'll go, "Oh, that was a waste of money." You go, waste of money. You go, "Helping someone is a waste of money." Well, yeah, just, you know, and you go, "Wow, we become God at that point over people's lives." Well, scripture says that when we show kindness to the poor, we're loaning to God. Jesus takes it a step further. This is what's so amazing is he says, "As you have done it unto what the least of these, my brethren, he says, what? You've done it unto me. When did we see you? He said, naked and poor, destitute, in prison, you know, hungry, da, da, da. You go, wow. Angels unaware. You ever thought about that? You ever had the opportunity to serve somebody and, and they're around you and you go, hmm. hmm. Could they be? You know, you've never seen them before. You never see them again. They just kind of, it's an opportunity. Maybe you'll get to heaven one day and you that was you. I didn't know angels ate Burger King. That was awesome. You know, yeah. No, but God won't be indebted to anyone. Proverbs 21, 25, and 26 says, a slacker's craving. We've already talked about a slacker, right? Uh, craving will kill him. They'll have desire, a slacker, to lazy person. It says, because his hands refuse to work. He is filled with craving all day long, but the righteous give and don't hold back. Know, the righteous works hard and and again out of their abundance see the person who's lazy is it doesn't have anything so they just covet they want something that someone else has but the person who works hard has an abundance they've got and they're able and willing to share with other people proverbs 22 9 says a generous person will be blessed for he shares his food with the poor again you can't outgive god that's what solomon is telling his son here and again, and it's not that we just share in our abundance. Think about this. What this is talking about is, is not that you go, you have so much abundance that you just give, you know, food to someone else. This is saying that you have your food that's in front of you and you do what with it. You take what is right in front of you and you give that to someone else. Now that is giving. So you've gone into a self-imposed fast, you might say, at that point. So that what? Other people can eat. And you go, wow. Talk about kind. Talk about generous. And that's what Solomon is teaching his son. Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. He says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will be heaping burning coals on his head. And the Lord will reward you. You know, human nature tells us what? Hate our enemy. God tells us to do what? To love our enemy. Some people read this particular you know, proverb and they like it. You know, they're going, yeah, I'm going to do good so I can watch them burn. Um, that's not the attitude that the Lord is, is talking about there. It's not so we can watch them suffer. That's what vengeance does. That's not what love does. The heaping coals is really about talking about the burning conviction. Is that when you do something good. If you, have, you ever had, have you ever said or done something against someone and they did something kind to you in return? Did that make you feel less guilty or more guilty? Usually it makes you feel more guilty about, and that's what it's talking about. It's, it's the heaping or the weight of it is, is now upon you. That's why scripture tells us to kill people with what? Kill them with, has anyone ever said this to you? Kill them with what? Kindness, kindness. yeah. Kill them with kindness. Overcome evil with what? Good, Yeah. It's the opposite of eye for an eye. Proverbs 28 says, Whoever increases his wealth through excessive interest collects it from one who is kind to the poor. Anybody ever had to pay interest that was around 30% in here? We see it in Scripture, you know. 30%, remember that was kind of a norm for you know, things? You could buy something on credit, but you're going to pay 30% interest. And, and that's okay in Scripture, it's, it's actually not, there's nothing wrong with it as long as it wasn't something of a necessity. Now, if you went to your friend in Jewish culture and you said, hey, you know, I want to put a swimming pool in. And he charged you 30%, the Bible doesn't say that was a, that's just good business for him. You know, you don't need a pool. Go swim in the lake or the river. But, you know, people would still do it. Oh, I'll pay 30%. But if you were to charge someone that kind of interest that was just trying to survive or to provide for their family, you know, God says that that's that's sinful at that point. He says... Again, to collect excessive interest, collects it for the one who is kind to the poor. Ultimately, God's basically saying, you know, he's going to take it from you somehow, some way. He's going to work it out. Mike Atkinson sent me a picture yesterday. It was really interesting. He had taken me up to his cabin uh, last year. And as we were driving along the road, he said, hey, look down there. He said, there's a pot farm down there. And I looked down and there was this massive, it was like 20-something acres. And it was, it was, you know, a, a marijuana farm. I don't know if it was legal at that point, or but it was in the mountains and it was kind of hidden. And there was guys there walking around and they had guns on the property. And so we stopped on the road and they came out and they were looking up at us and we were far enough away, I think, Hope. And, um, you know, But we're looking at, well, he sent me a picture yesterday and it, it's all burnt. They had that fire. It's gone. It was called Up in Smoke. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> but it was like, you know, it, it's just one of those things. You look and you go, it can be gone like that, right? And, and be stingy, you know. And again, Proverbs 28:27, Those who give to the poor will not be in need, but one who turns his eye away will receive many curses. You know, one of the best ways that we can express our generosity is to give to the poor. That's what God is telling us here. One of the best ways to bring the discipline of God upon your life is be selfish. We, we can't turn a blind eye to something that has God's full attention and uh, God sees and he's looking. And one of the interesting things, you know, I want to just take a moment here, you know, on this. Have you ever ever tried not to see something? When I say that, I mean, a need. Have you ever come across somebody in need and you turned away? So as to not look at it, so that way you could kind of, in your heart, you could go, well, I I wasn't really aware of it. Or, you know, don't answer the phone, because we know that they're calling, they what? They want something. You know, they might need something. So, again, we don't want to become active. We don't want to be involved. It's one of the dangers, you know, psychologists tell us of of social media. Uh, Do you remember years ago, I don't even know if they still have them, but uh, it was always during the Super Bowl. How many like Super Bowl parties, by the way? If just by a show of hands. You like Super Bowl parties. It's fun. You get a whole spread of food that maybe you don't get to eat, you know, the rest of the year. But, man, that day, I mean, John Jones comes over and makes coconut, you know, shrimp with the uh, with pina colada salt, dipping sauce. I mean, just stuff and, you know, what are those things called? Oompa Loompas? No, I don't know. Lumpia or whatever, you know. I don't know. <laughs> it's good stuff. Just Let me just tell you this. It's just good stuff, you know. And and you're sitting there, and you're, you're on about your 12th one, you know, and you're dipping in that sauce, and you're just enjoying. And all of a sudden, this commercial comes on, and it was for uh, world hunger, right? And it shows this child in Africa that's starving, and you're stuffing your face. And what, what, do, you, what do you do at that point? You want, you want to change that channel, right? Well, now, because of social media, again, here's what happens. We see it all the time. There, there's nothing... We're not naive, you know, or we're not, we're not, you know, pure or innocent any longer. It's, it's in our face, whether we like it or not. So what happens and what's happening to us is we become callous. Do you remember? And I remember uh, my kids growing up. If we saw a homeless person, my kids would go, dad, dad, there's a homeless person. Can we get him some Taco Bell, dad? Can we get him some McDonald's or something? And you know, we would, you know, get some stuff from, And you go, now what happens? I'd have to own a McDonald's, right? Or I'd have to own a Taco Bell because it'd be on every street corner. So what happens? You just become callous to it. It just happens all around us. It's just, so we just go, eh? you know, pick and choose. It's not said. It's not that continual, constant, reliable generosity that we love and have come to expect from God. Amen. We have to understand, you know, overexposure to pain and suffering, it desensitizes us to pain and to suffering. That's one of the things you got to be cautious of with regard to the news and social media, all these things, because again, it's not really happening. You're just watching it. There's a difference. It's like if somebody, you know, again, and we know this, if someone, you know, comes to me and they say, you know, Pastor Mike, can you help me? It's hard for me to say no, but if they call me on the phone or they just send me an email, I could say no all day long. It's easy. Because you can be desensitized to it. That's why, again, why coming together is so important, you know, with and for one another. You know, not just taking advantage of the technology. Because there is something that desensitizes us to it. It's easier, like I said, to disconnect and distance ourselves. You know, until we are involved face to face. Proverbs 31, 20. You know, the last proverb here that we look at this morning. It says, the noble's wife, this is from God's, God's word, uh, new, when I talk about translation here. It says, the noble's wife, hands reach out to the poor and she extends her hands to the needy. It's talking about, you know, the Proverbs 31 woman here. She cares for uh, both the poor and the needy. And she does more than just throw money at the situation. Look what she, it says she does. It says, the noble's wife's hands reach out to the poor. That's one of the things about coming together and and worshiping together and serving together, coming alongside one another in person. You go there. There's some, There's a quality to that. Um, you know, it's one thing, like I said, to say, "Hey, I'll pray for you," but it's another thing to say, "I'll pray with you," and to be there. Uh, there's there's something so so important to us with regard to our faith and and what does she do? This this Proverbs 31, one woman, this virtuous woman, she draws close to them and she touches them just the same way that Jesus touches people. Isn't that one of the interesting things, you know, during this whole COVID, you know, 19 pandemic is like I said, the cure is is becoming worse than the virus, you know, with the church being displaced from in-place gathering and that and people being, you know, so far removed. What's happening? You know, they're losing that, that touch. They're being, and and again, and I talk to people every day, every day that are going, you know, Pastor Mike, I, I talked with some people yesterday. They're probably watching, you know, right now. And, and they would be the first to tell you that once you get removed and you're out of the picture, so to speak, it's easy to become desensitized. Your habits change. And all of a sudden you just Again, you're on the outside looking in. But there's something about, like I said, as we gather together. And I think about, you know, this Proverbs 31 woman. And the healing touch that comes from her hand. So, so reminds me, you know, of Jesus. I mean, you think about this. Like I was sharing with you, you know, that our body produces a chemical. It's called Dopamine. And, and, it, and then when, when there's human touch, when, when we know that we're loved and we know it's like when, you know, like you see somebody that, that you really, you know, enjoy seeing all of a sudden you look at them and you go, ah, ah and they look at you and they, you look at them and your eyes dilate. Literally they're, they're your, your body goes through a reaction. Dopamine kicks in and your eyes dilate the same way, you know, that you think about, you know, someone who's taking a drug and then they look, they want to look at your eyes. They want to look at your pupils. You know, that God's designed us that way. There's something about human touch to dignify people and to care for them and to love them. You know, again, did Jesus live in fear? You go, no. When people had leprosy and that was like the AIDS of his day, what does scripture tell us that he did? He didn't just go, you know, I am God. I, you know, I can speak the word, right? Even the centurion understood that about Jesus. He's going, hey, you don't have to come to my house. He says, I know that you're a man under authority, just like I'm a man under authority. And if you just say the word, I know that my servant will be healed. And Jesus says it. But other times he's going, I'm going to go to your house. And I'm going to do what? He didn't have to, but he did. He touched people. Understand this. Every time in scripture, when you see it says Jesus had compassion, that word compassion. It says when Jesus had compassion on somebody, it was Followed by what? An action. See, we get moved by compassion. And it's usually, like I said, in social media, we'll like something. It's really funny in social media. They, somebody can post something really bad, right? But you still like it. I, I, sometimes I'm, I'm kind of thrown by that. I'll, I'll look and it's ter- something terrible they're telling you about. But you're supposed to like it. You go, well, I don't like it. And you go, but that's the only way that you can acknowledge it, right? So you, you hit the like it button, even though it's terrible, and you go, but that's a way that, you know, you go, oh, I identify with, you know, what you're feeling or thinking or going through. And, and again, that can be so distant, but here's Jesus every single time. And I want you to think about this, you know, here's Solomon teaching his son of all the things out of the gate as a young man, he's going, I want to teach you about kindness and generosity. I don't want it to be an emotion because it's not an emotion for God. Okay. And he doesn't want it to be an emotion. Now, does it touch our emotions? Absolutely. But it's an action. An action that takes place. Every time Jesus felt compassion, he did something. Mark chapter 1, the leper. The leper came to him kneeling down. He says, you know, are you willing? Jesus said, I'm willing. He had compassion on him and he touched him. Matthew chapter 14 When Jesus went out and he saw the multitudes, he says he was moved with compassion. And then what did he do? He just went on, right? Hey. No, it says he healed their sick. And in Matthew chapter 20, when they went out from Jericho there, remember there was two blind men that came and they cried out to Jesus. And he he said, oh Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped. He heard him and he turns to them and he says, what do you want me to do for you? It says, and they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. It says, so Jesus had compassion and he touched their eyes and it says immediately they received sight and they followed him. You know, today, church, as we close, the cross, isn't it? The greatest example of God's generosity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You think about this. He's looking at your heart and he's looking At my heart right now. I want you to think about this. You know, we're all needy. He knows the sin that you're caught up in, He knows the struggles of your life, and He's here. And because He has compassion, He's just not identifying with your pain, He's, I'll do something about it. First and foremost, if you've never received Christ, He says, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. You might be thinking, ah, I've, I've done too much wrong. <laughs> no, that's why Jesus came. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. You're the donkey. I'm the donkey. We're the unclean. But we can be redeemed by His perfect love, His perfect sacrifice, His generosity, His kindness, His compassion for us. You don't have to leave here today. Believe in the lie of the devil. You can... Leave here today knowing Jesus is Savior and Lord. You can leave here today understanding maybe a little bit better, you know, that God's kindness isn't just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. It's an action. And because he loved you so much, he gave his life for you. And the call of God in the believer's life is likewise, is when we leave this place, we have a mandate from God is to go out. And to love people he didn't say who to love, it's like they go well, who's my neighbor?